0: Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let me give you a little bit of, of background. What's going on? in Acts chapter nine. Uh, just to summarize a little bit for y'all who um, you've been out of this kind of the mindset for a while. Uh, Saul's story was a radical one. Saul, who we also know as Paul, uh, he was a, a strict Jew who persecuted with great zeal fellow Jews who became Christians. And Saul, whom we know as Paul, uh, we see him in the book of Acts giving approval to Stephen's martyrdom. He was there just basically clapping his hands when Stephen was martyred. We know that Saul was kind of like, I said this weeks ago, kind of like Dog the Bounty Hunter. Probably didn't have the same haircut, but was like Dog the Bounty Hunter. Kicking down doors, going door to door, home to home, finding Christians, dragging Christians from the dinner table, dragging them to prison. How many of y'all know this dude was serious about persecuting these, these, these believers? And so Saul, who we call Paul, also this man, he was like Dog the Bounty Hunter. He was zealous for the things of God as he understood them. And the whole time he was doing this, he thought he was doing God a favor. As he dragged Christians into prison, he thought he was gaining the smile of God. But as we get into Acts chapter 9, what we're going to see is that Saul had his agenda. Saul had his plan. But how many of y'all know God had his as well? And how many of you guys know God's will will prevail? God's plan, His will for your life will prevail. So this is what we're going to see today is God's triumphant victory over Saul's dead, unbelieving heart. So let's read this together. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. If you're ready, say ready. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest. Verse 2. And desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that is Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. Verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Verse 4. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, and he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Verse 6, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Let me continue. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go. Verse 18, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food like a good Cajun, he was strengthened. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, I pray today that you would let it go deep. Lord, press it deep into our hearts. And Lord, may this word... Lord, bear fruit in our lives, not just as we hear it, but as we believe it. Lord, may it change us. Thank You, Lord, for this reminder. If You can change Saul, then Lord, You can change us. No one is beyond your reach. No one is beyond your grace. And so, Lord, today, I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that you would encourage us. And Lord, today, I pray that you would give us a bigger vision, Jesus, of who you are. Come on, let's lift our hands right now the Lord. Jesus, we need a bigger vision for who you are. Or the news puts all types of things in front of us. Lord, there's fear, there's worry, there's concern. Some of it legitimate. But Lord, today we come and we place our fears, we press them to the to the side. And Lord, we place you at the forefront of our thinking. And Jesus, we pray for you to give us a fresh vision of who You are. Come on, let's lift our hands right now. Lord, we call upon Your name. Lord, may a great light shine on us today. Jesus, You are the light of the world. Lord, light up our world today. There's so much darkness. Shine in the midst of darkness. Give us hope today. Give us courage today. God, give us fresh faith today, we pray. And we pray all these things in the awesome, precious name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. All right, now let me give you a little bit of context of what's going on here. Here in this episode, Luke tells us that Saul makes his way to Damascus, which is about 150 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And the reason he goes there is because, well, uh, he decided that he was going to persecute Jews who are becoming Christians in this city. So he travels, think about this, 150 miles toward Damascus. And his whole aim as he goes is to find Christians to arrest Christians and to throw them into prison like he had been doing. And the Bible says here that he was, check this out, breathing out murderous threats, murderous threatenings. Now, commentators have, have said they're right, if you look at the original language, that the idea is not just the breathing out. It's more uh, accurately stated that he was breathing in. He was breathing it. Here's what Stanley Horton, a Bible commentator, said. It it was like the the atmosphere of murderous threats. If that's the atmosphere, that was the oxygen that Paul breathed that gave him energy to go forward to put Christians in prison. How many of y'all know he was on the rampage? There was nothing stopping this man from what he was doing. Well, nothing except, well, you know, God. (laughs) You know, he had what what he wanted to do in mind, but 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 no one no man was stopping him. But Jesus, Jesus stepped in the way. Because we're told that as he approached Damascus, that he had this encounter with with God that changed everything. How many of y'all know one encounter with God can change everything in your life? You go from just having church service week after week and it's just nothing. You sing the same songs, hear the same word, and it's like, okay, you come in and you leave the same way, but then but then you come in one day and it's like the heavens open and your heart's open and then God moves sovereignly and like you, you come alive in a new fresh way. Y'all, listen to me. I am so tired this morning. I'm exhausted. I'm exasperated by my circumstances on one hand. On the other, I have never been more full of joy than I am right now because I know that my Redeemer lives. And isn't that the tension we walk in? Sorrowful on one and rejoicing on the other because even in the midst of death, Jesus brings life. Let me say that again. In the midst of death, Jesus brings life. And this one encounter that Saul had with Jesus changed everything. The light shone. The light shone. Not that light. But a bright light, brighter, listen to this, brighter than the noonday sun. As Saul tells us later, and Paul tells us later in the book of Acts, says, Brown, read about, about 12 o'clock, the light of the glory of the risen Christ shone brightly, more, more brighter than the, the sun in the sky. How many y'all know the brilliance of the S-O-N is greater than the brilliance of the S-U-N? And he sees this light. He's blinded. He goes to the ground. He was slain in the spirit, But it wasn't necessarily about what he saw as much as it was about what he heard. Because in this encounter, he hears this voice. It's Jesus. And here's what, here's what Jesus said to Saul. And how many of y'all know Jesus never asked a question for his own information? Some of y'all didn't know that. It's to, to provoke a response from Saul. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you why are you persecuting me? How many of y'all know Jesus knew the answer to that? Why are you persecuting me? But you're, if you read this carefully, critically, you're like, okay, what does that mean, Jesus? Uh, Saul is on the earth. Jesus, I thought you're in heaven. Like You were crucified, resurrected. You're at the right hand of the Father. Okay, how is Saul persecuting you if you're in heaven and he's on the earth? How does that work? Maybe you didn't think about that. It's a good question to ask. Here's the answer. By persecuting the body of Christ, Saul was persecuting Jesus. How many of y'all know, whatever the world does to you, they're also doing to him because he's the head. Why are you persecuting me? It wasn't necessarily a direct persecution against Jesus. He wasn't there on the earth. Paul, Saul, others were persecuting the body of Christ and in doing so, persecuting Jesus, why? Why are you doing that, Saul? Now, if you go on and read in Acts 26, 14, you can write this passage down. Saul recalls this moment and quotes Jesus as saying this. This is so important. Listen to this. This is Paul's perspective later on this event of his his conversion. He reports that Jesus said this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, who here knows what it means to kick against the goats? Well, if you all raised your hand, I guess I would just go home. So I guess it's good you don't know. Can I, can I teach you all a little bit? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, here, here's what this means. In ancient times, if you were driving oxen, sometimes oxen didn't want to go in the direction you wanted them to go. And so... Farmers had goads, these long poles with sharp, pointy ends. And the farmers would prod and poke. These animals would be prodded and poked to get them going in the right direction, or just to move them forward, really. But how many of y'all know, oxen didn't always want to go where the farmer wanted them to go. And so the farmers would prod and poke, But the oxen would get stubborn and they, we say prideful. (laughs) I'm not going, some of the oxen were thinking. And they would kick, watch this, kick against these goads, these poles that were prodding them, thinking that it would stop. But the more that they kicked, the more the farmer would prod. And the more that they would kick back, the more likely these animals were to get what? Hurt. So are y'all with me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, God had been driving Saul, pushing him in the right direction like, like a farmer would oxen. Saul was stubborn, and as God prodded and poked, Saul was kicking back against God. God had been speaking to Saul. God had been directing Saul through Stephen's speech through power, through signs, wonders, and miracles, through the gospel, God had been speaking to Saul. But Saul was resisting kicking back against God. Are y'all tracking? Kicking back against God. And in doing so, he was not only breaking God's heart and hurting other people, but watch this, he was also hurting himself. How I many of y'all know when you resist God, you're not only hurting, breaking his heart and hurting other people, but you're really hurting yourself. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Listen, to me. there's a lot of heartache and pain in this world, isn't there? Someone said, man, all this heartache, all this sickness, all this pain. I mean, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, it's so abnormal. Well, actually, in this world, listen to me, sickness, death. Pain, suffering in this world, y'all, it's just normal. How many of y'all know? We live in a fallen world. You say, what's wrong with the world, sin? What's wrong with the world? Rebellion against God has created the disaster that we see. And not just Adam and Eve, but each and every one of us here. We've all contributed to it. But how many other things in this world that we just can't control? I, I, you know, I didn't ask for the phone call. Kelly didn't ask for the phone call at 1 a.m. 1 a. on Tuesday. Things are just going to happen in our lives that are heartbreaking. Are y'all with me? Come on, raise your hand. If you've been walking through some hell, you've been walking through some hardship. If your hand is not up, your hand will be soon because it's, it's, it's inevitable in this world. The question is not will the storm come? The question is are you ready for it when it comes? Listen to what is God saying? Prepare for the storm. What is He saying? The sun's out. Prepare for the storm. There's so much heartache and there's so much brokenness in the world. And it's just there. We don't ask for it, we just step into it. But how many of y'all know there, at the same time, there's a lot of it that we just bring upon ourselves? I mean, we can bind up the devil, we can blame the devil, blame Adam and Eve. But let's be honest, a lot of the heartache and a lot of the heartbreak, we invite into our own lives when we kick against the Holy Ghost. Listen to me. Some of you here, thank God you're here, you have been kicking against God. He has been speaking to you about that sin in your life, that pride in your marriage, and you have been resisting and kicking against Him. And in the process of doing so, you are hurting yourself and hurting your marriage. Listen to me, the best thing you can do today is humble yourself, repent on the ground, and throw yourself on the mercy of God, and when you do, He'll forgive you and He'll change you. You've been kicking against the goats. And God's like, stop it already. The more you resist, the more pain you're inviting into your life. Are y'all with me today? Listen to me if you're taking notes, write this down. Your sinful pride hurts more than God's loving prod or his loving poke. Oh, come on, when God pokes at your pride, come on, man, it hurts. When God sends another man up into your life to call out that pride, oh, it hurts your ego, doesn't it? it hurts your pride that poke oh it hurts who is he to tell me who is God to tell me God (laughs) God can tell you anything he wants to tell you oh it hurts when we get poked and prodded by the Holy Spirit but thank God that he loves us enough to tell us the truth to prod us and to poke us to the way of life. How many of y'all know there's a way that seems right to a man that leads to death? Listen to me, there's a way that feels right. Someone said, I'm just following my heart. Why would you do something so stupid? Listen to me, don't ever follow your heart Unless your heart has been regenerated and changed by the Holy Spirit. And then you're not following your heart. You're following the one speaking to your heart, which is God. Come on, y'all. I'm tired, but I'm preaching to y'all today. Don't follow your heart. Follow God. Because the heart apart from Christ, apart from his grace is desperately wicked. But thank God once He changes your heart, come on, you don't have to walk around every day wondering what God's will is. Come on, when your mind is renewed, when you're in the Word, the Word is in you. You're in tune with the Spirit. You're walking with godly counsel. You can walk confidently in the will of God. Come on, y'all. How many of you know every way apart from Jesus, every way is the highway to hell? How many of y'all know Jesus is the stairway to heaven? Come on, Led Zeppelin. You didn't know. Thank you for that sermon illustration. Listen to me, listen to me. As Baxter said, I'm a dying man preaching to dying men and women. Listen to me. If you're not on the road with Jesus, you are on the highway to hell. That's just the way it is. There's no other option. It's It's the staircase to heaven. It's following Jesus. Or it's the road to hell. I love you so much that I'm going to tell you that. Regularly. And tell myself that so that we remain followers of the way. They're called followers of the way. That's the religion, the way. Christianity, the way. It's not our way. Come on, y'all, it's not our way. He, Jesus, is the way. That's that's very soft. say, Say it boldly. Come on, he's the way. And thank God he stepped in and intervened, you were on the highway to hell in the light of God, shone brightly. In the light of His presence, the light of His Word brings revelation to your sin, but even greater revelation to the grace of God. And when you see Jesus for who He is, someone said, well, God can't make me come. Of course, He's not going to force you to come. He changes your heart so that you willingly come. And we see this in Saul a little bit at a time. So God is prodding you and directing you onto the pathway of life. But notice here, in the story, this was a divine disruption. Saul was not expecting this to take place. And so we're told here he falls down, is blinded by the light, gets up, but then neither eats nor drinks for three days And Ananias comes, lays his hands on Saul so he could regain his sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's baptized. And then, I mean, I can go on through the whole story, but here's the point. Because of this encounter with with the risen Christ, Saul was never the same. He lived for Jesus, and he died for Jesus. Now, if you read this as the text stands, and you understand Paul's background... Some of you might be tempted to think, well, Paul, listen, Paul didn't need to be converted. I mean, yeah, we know about the persecution. That's bad. Like murderous, story, it's not so good. But if you look at the rest of Saul's life, many people would look at him and be like, dude was a righteous dude. Paul, Saul was, man, he was, a, he was a good person. He didn't need to be converted. There are people today who will tell you when you present the gospel, well, I don't need to be converted. I'm fine the way that I am. And and that's all packaged in the you are enough stuff today. Listen to me carefully. Apart from Jesus, you are not enough. You never will be. If you were enough, then Jesus died needlessly. What you have is from God. You're made in His image, beautiful in His sight. Yes, but there's nothing that you, apart from faith, can bring to Him to be right in His sight. But you look at Saul, who we call Paul. Looks like a good dude, God fearing man. Listen listen to what Paul says about himself as he rolls out this resume in Philippians chapter 3, about 30. This is decades after his conversion. Listen to this. Listen listen to what Paul says about himself Philippians 3, 4 through 6. If anyone else thinks, watch, watch this, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, he said, I have more against the Judaizers. Look at this. He says this, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, check, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Look at this, as to righteousness under the law, I would add on his own, blameless, blameless. This dude had it going on. This is him reflecting before Christ. But I want you to think about this with me. Saul, he had a lot to boast about. He he was a purebred, covenant-keeping, law-keeping Jew who dotted every I and crossed every T. From an external perspective, Man, this dude keeps the law! But how many of y'all know, with all that, as good as all that was, there was just one thing missing. And that one thing is illustrated in this. Back when I went to Israel in, uh, what, February of 2020, I went with the, the dean of Regent Divinity School, and y'all remember the little series I did on insights from Israel? Um, I came back with just all kinds of stuff to share. But when I was there... I was with the dean, some faculty members, and we took this tour through Jerusalem, went through Israel, and, and our tour guide on this one occasion, who was a Jew, a Jew who believed in what we call the Old Testament, not the New, he's not a Christian, he pulled us all aside as a group, and he hit this dry erase board, and he drew this circle, and he said, hey, you know that we're not that different. He drew a circle. He said, you know, we, we could put all kinds of things in this circle that that we, we all agree on. There's one God, you know, the... the um, the fact that we're made in His image, the Hebrew Scriptures are from God. He drew the circle and said, we're not that different. He said, you know, as a matter of fact, the only thing that that, that separates us, and he he took his marker, and he drew this one little dot in the circle. And he said, the the thing that that makes us different is that, that you guys believe in this dot. And he said, but we agree on all this other, within this circle. So, in other words, why can't we just get along? And in my head... I'm thinking about his imprecision, and then I'm thinking about the fact, well, of course we can get along. Then I went to think of this, that that little dot that he drew in the circle, if that little dot represents Jesus, how many of y'all know that little dot is not just a dot, that dot is the point of it all. And if you miss the dot, you miss the point, and if you miss the point, you miss God. Saul could fill up the circle with accolades, with accomplishments, with his ability to keep the law, and it looked impressive before men. And we did the same, don't we? You can take your circle, we can fill it full of games and humor and fun and fishing and bass pro and hunting and all the good things in this world food and fun and games and family. You can put it all in, and then don't some of us have the tendency to then take the marker and then just we kind of squeeze Jesus into the middle of it we got all that, but then we got Jesus. Jesus is somewhere in the middle of it. Listen to me carefully. You can have all of those things that are good, but if you don't have Jesus, you've got nothing. And listen, that's just point one. Point two is this. Jesus is not some last-minute add-on accessory into the blessings of our lives, y'all. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I Am above everything. The one before whom every mic will drop, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess. He's not an add-on accessory. He's everything. And without Him, you're nothing. You're nothing. I have nothing. Please fill this with me as we all stand on the precipice of eternity. You can have everything in this world. If you don't have Jesus, you're lost. Paul says it this way. But whatever gain I had, Philippians 3, 7, and 8, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of, listen to the language here, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you talk that way? The surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ. Look at this. Oh, this is so good. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, the English is way too nice here. It drives me nuts. The English word rubbish comes from the Greek term skubalon, which... Literally means manure, garbage, and or table scraps. Sometimes translators want to be nice. I don't want to be nice. I want to be honest and accurate. Paul said, whatever I had, as good as it all was and is, I count it all as table scraps. You getting the imagery? Here's my resume, y'all. It's a big pile of manure. My ability to keep the law, it's manure. My zeal for God, it's manure. In comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus is Lord. Picture Paul. It's all table scraps. In light of eternity, in light of Jesus and who he is, it's all table scraps. Do you think that way about your life? That every good thing that you have, it's all like table scraps in comparison. Now, not not the bad things. Of course, the bad things of your life are like that. I'm talking about the good things in your life. Say, well, Pastor Scott, I thought they're gifts. They are. I'm talking about in comparison to Christ. Are y'all tracking? I'm, I'm, I'm intruding in your worldview today. I'm intruding a little bit. I'm prodding and I'm poking and I'm challenging myself as I challenge you. Family is good. Fishing and hunting are good. Take me with you this fall. Money is fine. Just don't love it. Love God. I can go down the list. Paul's not saying that those things by themselves, in and of themselves, are garbage. He's saying that you can take all the money, all the pleasure from this world, put it on one side. When you compare it to the matchless worth of Christ, it's like a big pile of manure. Because you can have all that if you don't have Jesus. Guys, what? What? What good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? See, here's how you know that you're growing in Christian maturity. It's when you realize that that big house that you bought is just like a big pile of manure in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. I'm not saying... Some of y'all are upset. You're like, I paid a lot of money for that big pile of manure. You know? <laughs> Good for you, there's nothing wrong with having that big pile of manure. Just know that it's a big pile of manure in comparison to Jesus, in whom all the riches of wisdom and knowledge are found. All your treasure and all your pleasure, apart from Christ, is pointless. Listen, it's all kindling for the day of judgment. You use it while you're here for His glory. But how many of y'all know you can't take it with you? Are y'all okay today? Am I being too hard? Let me prod you. Let me poke you into eternity. It's all garbage. Piled up on the way to the landfill. Apart from Christ. In comparison. In comparison to Christ. But Of course, we boast about all kinds of things, don't we? Paul made his boast. And we do the same thing. We, we boast about what we have. Some of us, we boast about who we know. You ever done that? Y- y'all can only say, I know Pastor Scott. They're like, I'm sorry. Sorry to hear my condolences. Now, but we, we boast about people we know, don't we? I, I, I've done it before. Uh, as, as I was in Nashville, uh, which is the promised land, by the way. Uh, yeah, Except the real estate's way out of my I'd have to become a prosperity preacher, Jimmy, to, to afford to live back in, uh, in that place. Not that I would ever do that. But anyway, driving through, family in the back, driving, Lebanon, Nashville, greater Sen- Nashville, Davidson County area, Brentwood, Franklin, Meade, these houses. I'm like, dear Lord, this is the New Jerusalem. <laughs> We're driving through, and you I, I had forgotten. I'd forgotten about all the famous people I worked for. Back in the day, some of y'all, some of y'all knew this, many of you didn't. Back in, in, uh, let's see, the latter part of high school, into college, I worked for Amy Grant and Vince Gill. Vince Gill gave me my first set of golf clubs. Um, I worked for Michael W. Smith, Brooks and Dunn, that is for Ronnie Dunn, I was a hard working man. (laughs) For Ronnie Dunn, he's a tall drink of water, and anyway, great guy, he and Janine, great people. I worked for them, and over the course of time, I've pastored, I've pastored NFL players, names I could drop. You'd be like, what? I, I have been around big names most of my life. So what? So what? I, I've, known, I've known some great names, and I've known some great people. But listen to me. All the names I mentioned are great But the greatest name I could ever drop is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And if you don't know anybody else in this world of any significance, thank God you know him. And him crucified, not theoretically, but experientially, you know your redeemer lives. You know him. You know him. Boast about it. Brag about it. Earlier, some of y'all got depressed because I talk about your house being a big pile of manure. You say, I paid a lot of money for that manure. Listen, Jesus paid a great deal for you to know God. He gave his life, his sacred holy blood for us. But ultimately, our boast is not in what we know. Our boast is in who we know. As Jeremiah 9, 23-24 says, Thus says the Lord, Thus says Yahweh, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, Let not the mighty man boast in his might, Let not the rich man boast in his riches, But let him who boasts boast in this, That he understands and knows me, That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, Justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight declares the Lord. Do you know him? Not about him, but do you know him? He's walked with me and he's talked with me. And over the last 20, almost 21 years, he's told me that I am his own. He has walked with me Through cancer in the family. Through heartache. Through heartbreak. Through ups and downs and all arounds. I know them. Do you? Truly? Not do you know, Pastor Scott. Not do you know about us in our membership process. Not do you know OSC. Not do you know Jesus? Paul says this as we begin to wrap up. Here here, 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 here was his heart. Philippians 3, 8-11. That I may gain Christ. Check out the language here. And be found in Him. In whom? In Jesus. Not. Everybody say not. One more time. Say not. Not. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God. You see that? Where does it come from? It's not Paul's, but it's from, that depends on what? Faith that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection, and I may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Three quick lessons from the road to Damascus. Number one, Christ plus nothing is everything. Your works don't make you worthy. Your deeds don't make you deserving. There's nothing you can ever do in the flesh to be pleasing to God to earn your salvation or to earn your right standing before God. So I know that, Pastor Scott. Well, let me, let me tell you again. I mean, you know, the, the, the gospel's not like a set of jumper cables that kind of get you going, and then you're kind of off on your own. You need to hear the gospel every single day. Christ plus nothing is everything. People will try to find themselves in riches and popularity and their profession, but none of these things will make us right before God. If you bring anything to God, what, what do you bring? word, God. I believe that you are who you say you are, Jesus. I believe you're the way, the truth, and the life. I believe every word. And it's not just acknowledging that with your mind, with your heart. It's wholehearted trust in Jesus to save you. When you place your faith in Him, Jesus gives you everything freely. Righteousness. As one man said, what God requires, Christ provides. So you're looking to Jesus as your provider. Do you know today you stand righteous in God's sight, not because of your righteousness, but because of his. Are y'all with me? But, but, oh, but don't be a typical Protestant and stop there. Thank God for that. But check it out. He not only makes you righteous, declares you righteous, he gives you the power to actually be righteous. Listen to me. God not only forgives your sin, but He changes your heart so you live for Him. So you say yes to God. So did you live in obedience every day of your life? Did you you know that you can be obedient to God? Not to earn salvation, not to be saved, but because you are saved. God supplies it by the power of His Spirit. By the efficacy of Christ's death on the cross. Number two, the grace in Jesus is greater than the sin in you. As the old Puritans used to say, the grace in him is greater than the iniquity in you. Listen to me carefully. According to this story, no one is too far gone. Saul persecuted the church, breathed in, breathed out murderous threats against the church. He was on a rampage against the church and against Jesus. Saul stood in Jesus' way, but Jesus came as the way, transformed Saul's heart, changed his life, and Saul went on for the rest of his life giving it all to this Jesus. Now listen to me. If God can change him, he can change you. Oh, don't tell me You're too far gone or your son is too far gone. Don't tell me that your daughter's too far gone. Don't tell me that this nation is too far gone. Don't tell me that someone's too dead in their sins. Come on, they're either dead or not. But listen, Jesus makes you alive. Come on, he raises the dead. He transforms hearts. He's still performing miracles. If you don't believe it, look at me. I'm a walking miracle. Listen to me. No one is too far gone. Spurgeon said it this way: don't bury a man before he's dead. Hope that so long as a sinner lives, he may yet live unto God. In other words, don't think of people that they're unsavable. Don't bury them, don't give up on them. If they're still alive, pray that God will change their hearts and that they'll respond to the living God. And number three: and we're done. If you are in him in him then you must give your life for him you say what like what you mean all that manure every bit of it you mean every all my accolades and all, everything you've got all the energy that you have listen Midtown family stay-at-home moms Dads, offshore workers, lawyers, plumbers, electricians, roofers, listen to me. We are called by God's name to make Jesus known in this community. David served God's purpose in his own generation, then passed on. Come on, y'all. Let's serve God's purpose in our generation with all that we have. With all that we have. With all of your influence, with all of your money, with all of your gifting. Because listen to me, listen to me. Jesus not only saves you from sin, he saves you from a wasted life. John Piper said it years ago, whether you like it or not, it's true. Christians are wasting their lives sitting in churches thinking that is the zenith of Christianity. No. This is a celebration of what we do today of what God's doing throughout the rest of our lives as we are obedient servants of the Most High God. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life settling for Sunday Christianity. Don't waste your life reading your Bible every now and then. Don't waste your life and all the riches that you have that are given to you from God. Don't waste it, because we're all like Hen, aren't we? We're all one breath away from breathing our last. Eternity is right here, y'all. Feel it with me. Feel it with me. Eternity is here. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it as you raise your children. Feel it as you meet with one another. Feel it as you get on Facebook. Feel it. Feel it. got a hold of him all that zeal was turned around for advancing the gospel all that zeal and all that energy you use to pursue the things of this world that you love take it redirect it to the risen Christ lift up your hands right now with me come on midtown lift up your hands right now God almighty we call upon your name today we call upon your grace Lord his eternity is right in front of us Lord, use us. God, use us. Come on, Minta, lift up your hands. Lord, use us. All that we have, all that we are, we surrender to you. On our way, on our way through this life, we surrender. We surrender. All that we have to you, Jesus. All to you we surrender. Our minds, our hearts, our wallets, our affections, all that we have, our children, our community, we we surrender it all to you. Oh, Holy Spirit, come on. Come on, y'all, we're not done. Lift up your hands, cry out to God, cry out to God, cry out to the living God. Weep, wail, moan, whatever you got to do, cry out to the living God. He is near, Draw near to the Lord while he may be found. Cry out to the living God this morning. Plead for mercy, ask for grace, say, God, don't pass me by. Cry out to the living God. If you're in sin, get out today. If you're in pornography, run from it with all your life. If you're in adultery, your sins. Repent. Serve the living God. If you're here today, you've been kicking against the goad. Stop it today. You're hurting yourself. Stop it. Stop it. Lord, we cry out to you. Stand to our feet with our hands lifted. Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to us today. Lord, I'm praying that as we leave today, we would leave with the eternal weight of glory. That the cloud of your presence, the beauty of your countenance would be upon us. I pray that every mind and heart in this place would be radically altered. Radically changed. God, I pray for a love, a love for holiness. For for years, pastors and Christians, we we've 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 given preference to coolness over holiness Lord we ask for a spirit of holiness to rest upon us we don't want to fit in we want to be like you Jesus Lord I'm asking today for yoke breaking curse canceling power to be upon our families Lord I pray that as we go forth Lord we would be no nonsense Christians who love who have a long fuse and long suffering Hearts that are soft, foreheads that are hard, standing for you in these perilous times. Jesus, I pray this for my people, my family here that I love, that you love more than I love. Lord, would you change us today? Would you do it for us, Lord? And Lord, we we thank you for the pride. We thank you for your loving poke. Thank you for setting us on the path to heaven and the path to life. And we give you all the credit and all the glory in Jesus' incredible name. Come on, Midtown, say it one more time. Amen. Come on, give him some praise today. He's worthy of it all.